0: I ran in the seventh first at San San Gabriel, and then Don Perdone did it at Long Beach. Only I was first. Hey,
1: everybody, and welcome. It's time for a new edition of the award winning Talking About Cars podcast, where it's all about. Everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and more. I'm Randy Cardoon, and coming up, we'll take you to the Nitro Reunion at Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California, as they take a moment to recognize some of the classic drivers from the old San Gabriel Speedway. Steve Gibbs will be doing the honor with that, and the current owner of one of the Plymouth Hemi Underglass Barracudas. You remember those. That's Mike Mantel and driver Wild Bill Shrewsbury. But first... It's time for Talking About Cars News. Word from our friends at Hagerty say that what was thought to be an abandoned 1969 Plymouth GTX convertible, that it had been in a garage for like 17 years, it was about to be put up for public auction. And now it's been claimed by the last person to own it. The car was in northern Michigan. The only clue to who owned it was a name and address on some carpeting that had been shipped and was in the trunk of the car. Craig McIntosh said he was stunned to realize the car still existed considering it went into the garage 17 years ago. He says he tried to claim the car for his friend who actually owned it. Uh, The friend was having troubles and, of course, the authorities refused because he didn't have the paperwork, which makes complete sense. Now his friend has contacted him and he's talked to officials and authorities and he has reclaimed that vehicle. And now this bit of breaking news. So breaking, we actually included this story. After we release the podcast, so where this part is actually added afterward, Drew Alcazar, we've had him on the show before, he owns Russo and Steel Auctions with his wife, sent out a release saying they will be changing venues for their annual Scottsdale auction in 2020. And they are suing their former director of operations, alleging, quote, egregious breaches of his duties, including efforts to sabotage and destroy our relation with Salt River Fields and its tribal ownership. And a second lawsuit against Ritchie Brothers' leak auctions, alleging tortious interference and related acts committed by this publicly held multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Unquote. Alcazar writing, as for the challenges ahead, all we can say is, bring it on. Who says things are cutthroat in the car auction business? Now... The Hemi under glass, the legendary race car with the engine under that huge rear glass in the first generation Plymouth Barracudas. Well, now it's owned by Mike Mantel, who I caught up with at a recent Nitro revival at Irwindale Speedway in Southern California. Also there, driver Wild Bill Shrewsbury. Mike talked about there being more than just the one Hemi under glass.
2: There's four cars. Um... Only one went with the trademark rights to operate it on the track. The other three are in private collections, including the, the car that crashed with Jay Leno, which I initially had a contract to take that car. What a lot of people don't know is that was a brand spanking new build, and the furthest it ever wheelied was what you saw on the TV show. Yes, I, I can imagine the look on your face when that all. Were you there when no. it happened? No, I wasn't, but the driver told me he he really wanted to come over to my house and talk to me and uh, he came over and he said he had good news and bad news and he said he did the he did the Leno shoot which I knew kind of had an idea that was gonna happen and then um, the bad news was that he rolled my car that I had a deposit on so this other car that I'm running is is the longest performing Hemi under glass ever constructed it's performed at the Goodwood Festival in England it's Match Race and Beat the Little Red Wagon at Englishtown, New Jersey. There's a very famous photo up online with a Coca Cola sign in the background. Uh, it's performed at the U.S. Nationals. Uh, it's even made an appearance at the Playboy Mansion when Hefner was alive. So that's the car that I have here today. Did Hefner get in it? I haven't seen any pictures, and I, I wasn't there. But I've seen pictures of it on display there. But I haven't seen him in the car. I don't, you know. Is that Mopars at the mansion? Yeah, Mopars at the mansion, and they had the car featured, like for the ads for it. It was the featured car there.
1: I was there for that. I remember that. Now, Bill, Bill, Wild Bill Shrewsbury here. Refresh my memory, and I, I'll play naive. Uh, who was behind the wheel of that uh, Leno car?
3: Oh, another driver wasn't. Uh, he was number two driver. I was number one, and Mike's number three. Okay. Mike's running the show right now.
1: Okay. So, what was your reaction when you saw what happened to the in the Leno episode?
3: Completely driver error. <laughs> okay. I,
2: I can understand that. Go ahead. I ran last Saturday there. I made four runs at a, a late model NASCAR race to promote this event, and. I don't know after being down there and, and looking at it um i've had a lot of people come to my booth at events and ask me if it was staged uh, I and
1: mean, that's one heck of a promo i mean leno yeah. he's lucky that because he, he had his hand up and he was lucky he tucked
2: it in and all that other yeah, stuff but i'll did. tell you he tucked it in but um the car was a brand new build it wasn't like they were wrecking a you know a car with a significant history and I don't know. I Like I said, I made four runs over there, and I go back and look at the footage. They did heavy editing on that footage. They made it look longer. You can judge the sign behind the car when it's running, and then they cut to the wheelie bar, and when they cut back, the cars move back to make it look like it went longer. And I, what a lot of people don't know is the car only rolled once. They edited to look like it rolled multiple times. It rolled only twice. rolled once? Once and landed upright.
3: Not no, that's enough. One's enough.
2: <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Okay, so the point is is that they edited it to make it look like it rolled like three or four times. And that's the wonder of Hollywood, don't you know that? Yeah, but could you imagine NASCAR doing that? <laughs> they
1: probably get bigger ratings. What are you talking about, NASCAR doing that kind of thing?
2: Okay, so where is that car now? The Illinois, I think it that's one's in a private collection. And see, what they did was. The guy that owned the cars uh, previous, he had there was four of them. And he took them to auction, and it didn't bring in the kind of money that he felt he needed. So then he started one-off in them, um, and one car went with the trademark rights to, to perform and do all that. So um, that car was rebuilt, though, right? Yeah, against my advice, I told him, you know, leave it. I said that people really liked seeing things the way that they had seen it on television and They went ahead and rebodied it. I the, the previous driver Bob was his name. He um, When I told him that he said oh Mike nobody wants to see anything dented and scratched up and I said oh, yeah, they will so he rebodied it and You know that that. If it was me, I would have left it. Yeah, Didn't didn't get the money supposedly for it. What did you grow up
1: getting into as far as cars were concerned? What was your first car?
2: My very first car was a 63 Impala that was a hand-me-down from my sister. And then when the transmission went out on that, my mother gave me her 63 Ford Galaxy. But my first race car was a Porsche 914. I was, uh, I guess, about 18 when I got it, and I, I uh, quickly modified it. I put a small block V8 engine in it and a body kit to put more rubber to make it handle. And I used to race out at Terminal Island. They had a place called the Brotherhood. And before Orange County closed, I used to go out there and r- run. But the wonderful thing about the car being a mid-engine setup, I also ran the LAPD training course that they used to have very near where, where the Brotherhood drag strip right there in... in uh, you know down by the harbor down there Wow.
1: and so bill what was your first car how did you get into this whole i love cars thing
3: oh i'm from ohio originally and in 1962 um, i was asked to go to california to run the car for mickey thompson and uh, pontiacs it was and from delorean because i was lucky enough back there to to beat a couple of their cars so they 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 hired me to come to California, and and it was good. And and I had a car uh, in '63 at the Winter Nationals. I won the AFX, and then Pontiac quit racing after that. Then I went to a Mercury Comet in '64. It was AFX, and then after, then I was lucky enough to win the Winter Nationals again with that. And then after that, uh, George Hurst, who's in Hawaii, and he said he's building this car, and he wanted me to drive it and all that. And and from Hot Rod Magazine, Ray Brock says. Just do what he wants you know wait and see and went over there and there was the hemi under glass and it hadn't run anything and and uh, it was a car to sh- to show off her stuff it wasn't to do wheelies and then we took it to the first race and I put big tires on it they only wanted to run it on 7 inch tires but I put 10 inch tires and it scraped the rear bumper and went wild and everybody went crazy and after that we started doing wheelies
1: yeah the whole concept of the hemi under glass though uh, was basically to kind of a weight transfer thing, wasn't it? A
3: rolling, a rolling research laboratory is what they had on it. It had a real neat shifter in it. It was four speed and it had a lever and it, you move the lever and it moved the gear shift from different gears. And it uh, wasn't automatic. You know, Hearst didn't believe in automatics then.
1: No, no. And was the original idea to put the engine where they did or how did that work
2: Yeah, I think it was uh, Ray Brock from Hot Rod Magazine editor at that time that told george Hurst he was looking for a new project he told george Hurst, uh you know once you get the new barracuda and the new 426 hemi because both of them had i believe just came out in 64 right and uh so he he um suggested that they mid-mount it to get better weight transfer and uh so it was really uh hot rod magazines ray brock that came up with the idea for the car but George Hurst executed the the project.
1: And just so I understand, they made the first one you were saying in '65, correct?
2: So they started made in '64, right, Bill? Kind of. They started probably before the.
3: 60, end, of, end of 64 and beginning of 65, yes.
1: And
2: so they would make one every other year, or all the newer ones we're seeing are, are recent makes? Or? Yes, they, they've upgraded them. That was the thing about the Hemi under glass. The Little Red Wagon, the body style never really changed, so that was the same truck over the years. And by the way, I own the original Little Red Wagon. It was crashed in total in Quebec, Canada in 75. No! <laughs> yes, and we we're building another. we've built another one to perform. I don't have it here today with me but um with the hemi under glass the barracuda changed from a gen 1 to a gen 2 in 67. so the 65 car the one that bill started with they rebodied it rumor is that the the driver that took over after bill right he rolled it is that what you said yes
3: yes he rolled the car showing him he could drive it
2: yeah good job there that's the Leno driver. So they bodied that one to a 66. But then in 67, when they came out with the second gen, you know, the whole roof line changed. They cannibalized the original car, took all the stuff out of it. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it was disposed of. No, so then they, they went all the way up to 68. And then Hearst pulled out of the, uh, well, Sunbeam, the toaster people bought Hearst, And they didn't want any more in-house race cars. And that driver continued into the 70s, but he went with a funny car, tubular frame setup, and that was never as popular as the steel car that, you know, people can relate to that car because it's just like one they'd buy off the showroom. So, but what I'm doing, if, um, we announced uh, several weeks ago is we're building a 2020 Challenger with a new Hellfin engine, a new Hemi under glass. Really? Yes. So, where is the engine going to be there? Mid engine. It'll be very similar to the, to the setup that we're doing right now. Will it require having a bigger rear window or something like that? You or know, There's an artist concept floating around. I had a guy do a drawing, and then some gentleman on his own that does 3D-type generations computer stuff, he did one with a back window that almost looks you know, like the Pontiacs that have the hatchback. It looked wonderful, so we're thinking we're going to go with that. Well, not there a lot of talk going on right now about the CUDA? I mean, isn't it, aren't they yes, talking about I, you know? Actually, I'm, I'm kind of held on the. I'm going to hold on the project for about another three or four months to see if that may develop. But um, you know, the CUDA and, and the 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 Challenger, there wasn't a lot of difference between the two. So, a lo- probably more cosmetic than anything. Powertrains are all, you know, seven two seven tranny and four twenty six Hemi. So, um, but you know. If they don't come up with the Cuda, we're fine with the Challenger. There's said to be uh, since '08, since they produced the car, there's 550,000 of them now out there that have been produced. So that's a pretty good uh, audience for, you know, to, to, to build something like another Hemi, a modern Hemi under glass.
1: Quick thought, and I know you have to go. You have the original Little Red Wagon. Yes. Somebody, did you remember the guy that built the backwards Little Red Wagon? A backup pickup. Yes, the backup pickup that wheelied backwards and the whole thing.
2: That was totaled also. And um, they rebuilt, they built another one in 13, I think it's down in the showroom at Galpin Ford over here in the valley. They they commissioned to do it, so I think it's on their showroom down there. Uh-huh. But they never run it. They said they were, but it's never showed up anywhere. So,
1: Can you imagine driving the backward pickup there, Bill? That would be great. <laughs>
2: It wouldn't be weird at all. I think it'd be kind of difficult to do under today's rules because I remember all the pictures, A guy would have one arm hanging out the window on his head, out the <laughs> side to look where he's going because with the backup pickup, you had the motor in your way from seeing, you know, and like well, what the we back of the pickup. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they'd have to figure out another way to see where you're going, I think, if they did it today. Because I don't think NHRA would allow you to hang your, your head out the window. But you remember? You, have you ever seen the pictures of Bill standing up out of the windshield of the L.A. Dart? No. This? No. You used to do that?
3: Well, the car, car was stupid. It didn't know what to do.
1: So The legend, Wild Bill Shrewsbury, and the owner of the 68 Hemi under glass, Mike Mantel. Now, later at the Nitro event in Irwindale, we were able to give you a taste of some memories of the old San Gabriel Raceway with Steve Gibbs, who produced the Nitro Reunion, and had just honored Tom Flanagan. Up next, a former actor and race car driver you may be familiar with, TV Tommy Ivo.
0: I can remember going down to San Gabriel,
1: and I ran 150
0: miles an hour with the little red Buick dragster that's over there in the pits, and we got a color TV for it. And boy, I was in doggy heaven. And he talks about running in the sevens. I ran in the sevens first at San Gabriel, and then Don Perdon did it at Long Beach only i was first and so i got them together to race the two seven second cars and that was spectacular we packed the place next time we ran up against a jet car and everybody says oh you're going to get burned up doing that so we mounted skewers on the roll bar and put marshmallows and meters and wieners on it so This is so special to me because it it just, like I say, it's run the full clock. It was great.
4: Tom, thank you for being here. Tom loves these events. Uh, He's earned every honor there is in motorsports, the Halls of Fame. But just seeing him come through the gate one more time is always great. So, Tom, thank you so much for being here. Somebody grab me. If I can get the Ivo plaque. We need to
0: get the Ivo plaque.
4: Get the Ivo plaque. We need to find the Ivo plaque there. Uh anyway, but Tom, okay, thank you Tom so much, thank you. there he goes, oh, there, we are. there it is, okay. thank you, all right, for TB Tommy Eyeball, one more time folks. Woo! Another little side note on the original San Gabriel track, the track was operated by uh, three guys, uh, Jack and Will Tice and a fellow named Jack Minnick, they're all gone, but Will Tice's son from the original Tice family. Is here today so we just appreciate the Tice family that uh, had so much to do with the original San Gabriel. The next guy I'd like to bring up drove every imaginable kind of car. He was the designated driver in fuel racing for a lot of years in this area and I'm talking about Gary Reed. Gary was an original member of the Ground Shakers and I don't think there's a day in his life he weighed over 115 pounds. So that was a, a real honor for Gary to, to be a ground shaker. But he drove so many cars up until recently. I'm talking fuel lollards, top fuel, funny cars. If it went down the racetrack on Nitro, Gary Reed was the guy. So, Gary, come on up. I'd like to hand you the plaque for uh, being one of the original guys from San Gabriel. Ground shaker, Gary Reed. How much you weigh today, Gary? Uh,
5: a little over 100 pounds, but... 7109.
4: <laughs> uh, anyway, he was a, he had been a great jockey, but he took up drag racing instead. Gary, thank you. What's your greatest memory of the, either San Gabriel or Irwindale?
5: Well, I remember Chris Caramassini driving around the lights in the dirt and coming back on the track. And then the uh, Michigan Madman got out there, and he flopped it, and he tried to run at 150 miles an hour, and that didn't work out too
4: good. Yeah, so. uh, the Michigan Madman was a Chevrolet-powered motorcycle. And Chris Caramassini's daughter is here today. I'm not sure that Paul is around here right now, but I saw that same run. Chris, there was no guardrails in, you have to remember that. So it was no big deal to get off the racetrack and dirt track it, rooster tail, drive back on the track and make your run. And Caraman Senior was great at that. But Gary, thank you so much for being here in all the years with the Over the Hill Gang and the many, many cars you ran. Anyway, thank you, Gary. Gary Reed, everyone. The next guy up. Did a lot of serious drag racing and a lot of boat racing and built some of the best drag racing engines that were ever made. I'm talking about Bubby Wilton, Leon Bubby Wilton. Come on up. <laughs> hey, Bubby. <laughs> <laughs> Bubby also, one of the things he probably got the most uh, recognition for, and I'm not sure what he feels about the car, but he and Kenny Ellis campaigned a three wheel dragster for a few years. And with some success. Uh, you want to talk that, about that car, Bubby?
5: Well, when uh, Ken, I went into it with Kenny, Kenny uh, had kind of a Mickey Mouse looking thing, and I said, no, I won't be your partner unless I have a nice car built. So I went to Scotty Finn, and they built a car for us, and We campaigned it, and I actually drove the car myself.
4: You drove the car yourself. It was really a unique car. It was a three-wheel car, Chevrolet-powered, blown nitro. It ran right at San Gabriel, the very same track we're talking about here. And Bubby went on and campaigned uh, a few more uh, Chevy-powered top fuel cars. The Wilton and Doss car with Bob Brooks did very, very well. Did a lot of racing at Irwindale, but he uh, also did a lot of boat racing, right, Bubby?
5: Yes, I did. Do, I went uh, started out in uh, the the hydros because I I had the record world record holding k boat, and then we went from there. Everybody wanted one of my motors to put in a Grand Prix hydro, and so I built them motors, and and we went to. Uh, uh, what was it uh, in in uh, on the Ohio River? And uh, there were 16 boats. And I told this guy, I said, hey, you know, I think I might win this today, you know. And he says, uh, you think so? I said, yeah. In fact, I'll bet you a hundred dollars I win it. And he came back and he says, you're crooked. He said, you have 15 motors in this race. <laughs> That's
4: pretty good odds if you got only one boat that doesn't have your engine in it. But uh, anyway, Bobby, you contributed a great deal to motorsports, to drag racing, to boat racing, all forms of racing, and hot rods. He's had a series of street rods. They're absolutely excellent. And his daughter and his son-in-law, Dion, they've got their cackle car out here. They'll be part of the show tonight. So, Bobby, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Okay, we're working our way down. Thank you, Bobby. Okay. uh, Carl, come on up. This is probably one of the witnessing drivers in drag racing that you probably know nothing about. Unless you're a real fan of the sport. This is Carl Swift. Bracket racing was a big part of the local scene in that era, and Carl had a 1951 Ford with a flathead engine that won probably more racing than anybody else I can think of as far as event to event to event. They had a thing they called King of the Hill. How many times did you win that thing, Carl? Not enough. A few. He wanted a lot. The interesting thing about Carl also it was a stick shift. Flathead 1951 Ford. Carl lost a leg when he was a young man, and so he's driving this thing with a prosthetic leg. He, that's a pretty big challenge just to do that, much less win as much as he did. Carl, what what was your biggest moment that you can remember?
6: Uh, well, I started right across the freeway there at uh, San Gabriel in 1962. And I raced for nine months and never won anything, so I decided either I just wasn't ever gonna be up to the task because of my leg, or, whoops, uh, or everybody was cheating, so I I came with $35, and uh, if that car that uh, I protested had it been legal, that would have been it. I would have never raced again. But he was cheating. He had the a uh, different engine in the car. So after that, I never lost a trophy. And uh, then when Money Bracket started, I, I was the very first car to cross the finish line in the very first bracket race on a tree, and that was at Irwindale. And I did a lot of winning, and... Uh, took home some money and, and it was great and uh, I just I really want to thank you for something here special because Tuesday will be my 85th birthday and I, I thank you for bringing all these people out here to help me celebrate
4: <laughs> happy birthday Carl Carl Swift everyone a big-time dedicated drag racer again the number of races he won is hard to count but if you get the old drag news is out and read it I mean, it was plenty. Carl, you did great. Thank you so much. All right. Carl Swift, thank you, folks. We're working our way down here. The next one I'd like to bring up here, also like Gary Reed, we have another Gary. Gary Southern. And Gary, he may have driven more cars than Gary Reed, which is a hell of an accomplishment. So come on up, Gary. Gary Southern. We go back to the days of Baldwin Park High. I mean, a long time uh, back to the original San Gabriel track. Um, a lot of just personal history here that's it's great. But uh, the first car that I think Gary drove was the Tyson's Flathead Dragster, wasn't it? Uh, uh, what car was that, Gary?
5: It was a Flathead Dragster. blown flat out on gasoline. And we still hold a record today.
4: How about that? still holds a record today from the um, early 1960s. One of the most memorable cars I saw Gary drive when the Funny Car Cruise hit was the Stinger Funny Car. I don't know how many people remember that car, but it was a pretty unique car. sometimes set the tires on far, but uh, how about that car, Gary?
5: Way, way ahead of its time. Uh, funny Cars are running 100, uh, 170, we were running 200.
4: Pretty good back in that era. Gary also did some campaigning on the big uh, race circuit with NHRA including winning a national event. Uh, what events did you win, Gary, at the NHRA National Circuit? We won the U.S. Nationals, the Mayhaw
5: Nationals, and the Sports Nationals.
4: Back-to-back. Uh, Back-to-back. Back to back. That's a You're getting a good company. There's a lot of guys that have raced their entire life and never took home a Wally. Gary's got three of them on his mantle. So, uh, what's your other memory of San Gabriel and Irwindale? Two division races, too. Yeah, division champions, but uh, this man has been down the quarter mile. More than most, and uh, much of it right across the street there. So, Gary, thank you so much for being here. San Gabriel, we were racing
5: on a flathead, and a guy named Pat Aikens had a top fuel car, and they didn't have a driver, so I went over and begged him to drive that car. the first top fuel I ever drove, and from then on, it was helmet will travel.
4: Well, he's another designated driver, but here it is for Gary Southern. Again, the Greater San Gabriel Valley Drag Racing Recognition Award. Gary just said to me, he's driven 77 different cars. That's uh, I'm not sure if that speaks to their longevity or not, but uh, 77 different cars Gary Southern drove in his career. Oh. Gary's got one more quick story. What's that?
5: No, you tell it.
4: About the go-kart? Yeah. Okay, I'll, this is a quick story. We'll get on, we'll get Mr. Smith up here. I was managing Irwindale Raceway back in the middle 60s and Gary come by one day and he said, hey, I got a, I got a go-kart the guy gave me for a job I did cutting trees. He said, you can have it. And I was busy that day and I said, well, I can't go out right now. You go out and get it warmed up. I'll be out a little later and drive it. I'm, I'm in my office and I hear this, out in the, in the parking lot at Irwindale and it's Gary out there on the go-kart getting it warmed up. And I kept hearing it, yee, 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 and you know, but just you just stop, there's just no more noise. This don't sound good. And about five minutes later, he's standing at the door. I mean, road rash all over him, his shirt damn near tore off, holes in his pants. The steering wheel was not connected and it came off in his hands, right? That, that that could have been me. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Gary Southern, thank you guys. Alright, our final award, and again, this is a guy that goes back to the very, very earliest San Gabriel racing. A good chance that this guy won top eliminator at the very first drag race I went to at the original San Gabriel track. And in those days, the fuel motorcycles were every bit as competitive as top fuel dragsters. And the guy that led the pace on that whole deal was Joe Smith. Come on out, Joe. Joe Smith, uh, San Gabriel Valley guy. Joe went on to campaign fuel-burning Harleys. He moved up to a twin-engine Harley, broke all sorts of records, won the Indy U.S. Nationals. How many times did you win that, Joe? What, the Nationals? Three times. Three times the U.S. Nationals for fuel motorcycle. My single
0: in 71.
4: I went 74 and 75 with my double. You know, a twin-engine fuel Harley. Joe, what's your good memories of San Gabriel?
0: Oh, wow. Which one? The
4: first one. Uh,
0: 105. (laughs) 105. (laughs) Yeah, and I got up to 118 before I quit uh, running that strip there. Did you ever fall off that thing? Uh, Five times.
4: (laughs) Five times Joe fell off, and he got right back up and kept on doing it. That says a lot for this guy's intestinal fortitude. It was a great career Joe had. He raced for a lot of years. He broke... A lot of ground for the Fuel Harley categories that's racing today. And if you're on Facebook, every time the Fuel Harleys run, Joe Smith's following them, keeping us up to date on the Harley racing. But uh, what about the San Gabriel, too, Joe? Do you remember anything about that
0: track? Which one? The, uh, the second one? The second one. Well, I went from the, the first San Gabriel. The next time I raced in it was the Irwindale. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I raced there a lot of time. You know, there you can run Wednesday night and Saturday night and Sunday and I made a lot of runs there. I never made less than five runs at any time I was there, and as many as seven or eight. Yep. So I made a lot of runs in the San Gabriel area, in the Irvindale Raceway. And the best thing I can remember about racing was I received a letter from a fellow named Wally Parks and Steve Gibbs. And they invited me to make exhibition runs at all the national events for the NHRA. I did that for four years.
4: That's right. Uh, Wally and I, uh, we got together one day and decided it would be nice to... to Have Joe go around the country and make those exhibitions promoting fuel bike racing. So this man has a huge amount of history. Just a living legend. Joe, thank you for being here so much today.
0: Thank you for inviting me to this event. I had a lot of fun.
4: That's it, folks. Let's give it a big round of applause for our seven legendary guys from San Gabriel and Irwindale. They made history right here. Bob, thank you so much for this time. Thank you. Thank you. See, now don't leave, because without this guy, you would have never met those guys. Steve Gibbs puts this event on, it's his brainchild, he's the one that's brought everyone back together again and honors the guys that made the history, you get to watch all the time. Steve Gibbs, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! 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 I've been lucky, I've had the pleasure to work for Steve for over 20 years, and he puts on some amazing events. This is just an example, and like he said, it's going to be on the calendar for next year. You think this year was good? Wait till next year. It'll be bigger
5: and better than ever before. Thank you very much, Steve Gibbs and his family. That's our pal,
1: Bob Beck, from Great American Auto Scene and the voice of Irwindale Raceway and Speedway, along with Steve Gibbs. Hey, thanks for listening, and please share our show on social media. Subscribe, it's absolutely free, and leave a comment. And if you're on iTunes, rate us and review us. Thanks in advance for helping our podcast grow. Our website is talkingaboutcars.net. Don't forget to follow us on social media Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, listen like, share, or retweet, and subscribe. It's absolutely free. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.